Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire to Lead listeners, I am so excited about this conversation because this is a gentleman, a leader that I've met multiple times at the Teach Better conferences. And he is phenomenal. And I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. Dr. Rob Martinez is on with us today. And Rob, I just appreciate you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to talk about your new book. Oh, thank you so much, Josh. It's quite the pleasure to be here with you. Uh, whenever I have an opportunity to and talk to you know other leaders who are interested in helping people in their community, man, I just feel inspired as well. So it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, I want to talk about the conference real quick because you were in attendance actually 19 and 22. So it was quite the difference between the two conferences, I know. But, you know, for our last one, I just wanted to get your take on what you thought of that event. Yeah, it was it was so cool because, you know, what I love about that Teach Better conference is it, it you could tell there's authenticity generated from people, hey, teachers, but people who are connected to kids right now. And, you know, oftentimes, well, you'll go to a conference and maybe it's, you know, some folks who have been removed from the process, removed from the day to day connections. And, you know, the Teach Better folks really bring it with heart, uh, with passion, but with real examples of being there with kids and the community that's built, the supportive level of working with other teachers from across, really, it's not just, you know, one state, it's multiple layers and multiple states of people kind of getting the message about the power within this group of people that really can help each other shine and build and grow. So again, it just, it's, it's a really nice ability to be there. Uh, what I also love is it kind of most of the presenters are right there in the audience, too. It's like we're really there. It's not like I'm going to come in and do it an hour long and I'm gone. I mean, it's come up and talk to me and let's facilitate a conversation. I continue to learn. And so whenever I have an opportunity to talk to brand new teachers, teachers in it for a few years, teachers, you know, kind of struggling, I still pick something up from that conversation, which is really valuable. Uh, so I, it's just really a great experience for anybody who is focused on doing good things in education. Man, you got to be there. Like I said, I, I loved being there with you and seeing you in action. But then also you shared too. I think something that's important about that conference is that, you know, it is a true community. And regardless if you're the keynote speaker or you're a teacher attending the conference, everybody's there and conversing. And I love the events afterwards too, um, after the conference. And there were so many people that stayed and we just learned together throughout the day. And I, I absolutely love that. So you, like I said earlier, have a brand new book, Recipes for Resilience, and it's phenomenal. I got to preview it before it even came out and endorse it, which was a true honor. And I would love for you just to share with my audience a little bit about the book and where the concept came from. So, you know, the concept has been with me for a long time. I'll say it that way. You know, I've kind of gave myself the self moniker and I'll just say it out there, you know, resiliency guy, because... Years and years ago, when I thought about my educational journey and going through different programs, learning, you know, getting my dissertation, doing these different things, I went through a lot of reflective process. And in that reflective process, I never really gave myself too much credit for getting to where I was. And I started really examining 
what have you gone through? What have you done? What was your life like? And it really struck me the level of personal resilience. And it was through actions and it was through resources and it was through support. And I say oftentimes in the book, it was through education that kept me grounded through some really, really challenging early developmental years. Hmm. So that's been part of me. And then again, as an educator of now, well, here's the, here's the, the dirty secret, 36 years, you know, but, but being connected to so many positive and wonderful educators doing the work they do, there's power in moments of working with kids. And so I've had a lot of opportunity to see real action take place in schools, directly in a classroom, you know, by leaders, uh, by teams of people. And I kind of crafted these ideas about sharing a little bit of my story, because I think as stories of our people we work with are so important to understand, uh, it helps us place us in the moment with them to connect and help them move forward. And so I wanted to share some of my story, but it, 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 I didn't want it to just be, here's, a, here's my story. I wanted to share it with the meanings behind it. And again, you know, through a reflective process, there were some times that I lived with one of my brothers as a young teenage man and, uh, you know, really crafting these ideas that helped build my education, build my commitment to service to students. So as we, as I put the get book together, <laughs> I'll tell you, it was a lot of data and a lot of stories that some didn't make in this book, but we wanted to hone it so that people who picked it up could get a sense of the power that they have in helping other people in, in finding their resilience. The book shares lessons. It shares about my thinking about how important resilience is. It shares about what teachers can do, educators can do, leaders can do, community members can do to help people grow, to help people get to that better place for themselves. Uh, so that was kind of the big idea behind the book. As it's turned out, I'm really proud of that work uh, that really kind of tries to hone down the, the recipes for resilience, as I call it. Uh, some big tenets of responsibility that I and that's one of them uh, that people can focus on when they're working with kids, when they're working for themselves, when they're working with a team of people that hopefully people will realize most every single one of us has been resilient mm -hmm. and we have to give ourselves the credit to know that so that when we're faced with new challenges, extra challenges, some other challenges, we can also persevere through that. Uh, and help build those skills for our students. Yeah. Well, you talked about being in education for, I believe you said 36 years. And I yeah. would love for you to just share with my audience as far as what your leadership journey was. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Um, again, as I share a little bit in the book. I was grew up in Southern California and then went up to school in Northern California. And I was actually a junior college kind of kid. So I you know, paid for that and did that on my own uh, and made it up to UC Davis. And I had a plan at that time to become a school psychologist. Uh, so I actually did some research on that and felt that I had a place working in our school systems that could help not just students, but help people who are helping our students. Uh, so really for the first half of my career in education, I was a school psychologist. Uh, and I really took that to heart what that meant. Um, I have a brother who is uh, finishing a 40 year career as a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University uh, this year. And so I had that kind of background in my head about 
he's doing good work and I should follow that that path. But I wanted to be connected to our educational side. So what I did many, many years ago was started focusing on what school psychology, in my opinion, should be, not what it was at the time. Uh, I did not want to become a psychometrician, somebody sitting in a room just working with individual kids, giving them tests and writing reports. So I really changed a lot of what we were doing in my school district with a you know, strong group of school psychologists, and we empowered people to do things differently and really focus on a consultative mold uh, role so that I placed myself in classrooms on day one. And I was working with our teachers with the different communities uh, to really kind of understand the whole cycle of what education looks like for that child within the environment that they had. And so, again, doing things, maybe response to intervention before response to intervention was a real thing and active interventions for kids early on, but also supporting our teachers. I mean, it was it's such a hard and difficult road even years ago. And so what I would do would be to look to support our teachers, support our families, support everybody who was engaging in that child with that child to see what we can do differently. So from that, again, I was crafting a number of different programs uh, across our school district. Actually, one of my principals at the time said, Rob, we've got to get you into administration. I really need you working and building some of these capacities. And so I was kind of tapped on the shoulder and said, you know, get yourself into this program. Let's get you the administrative credential. And I want you to be an assistant principal. And I was like, what? I, I don't want to do that. And they're like, no, you're doing a lot of that right now. You're doing it the right way because you're making these different connections for kids rather than, you know, punishing and disciplining and, and not that discipline is bad, but, you know, we have to do things in a way that really understands a child. So tapped on the shoulder there, uh, found my way into being a vice principal for several years, uh, then principal of a large multi-track year-round elementary school that in the time of class size reduction in California, we needed schools working almost 24 seven. So took that role on, uh, you know, with a 1,200 student elementary school that just was always going. And that was phenomenal. You know, again, as things happen and you get connected and people learn about you a little bit, I got tapped on the shoulder. Come on down to human resources because I need you now supporting many of our leaders across the district. So from there, again, kind of advancement into human resources uh, where, again, I've had the luxury to be able to not just be isolated in human resources, but maintain so many connections throughout my educational services group, building leaders, supporting them in what they're doing, building culture. And so that's where I've kind of been focusing a lot of my skills. I, I dabbled in the superintendency. I like to say it that way. Uh, but that was not necessarily for me. Uh, it really was almost too far removed and a whole different level of mindset and so now I've actually found my way back to a human resources uh, department where I'm now directly involved in, again, bringing in new teachers, supporting our new teachers, supporting our administrators. And after post-COVID, and it's still kind of here in California, you know, we are still recovering. And it's not a recovery of physical things with masks and distancing. It's a recovery of the heart. It's a recovery of the mind. It's a recovery of systems. And so what I like to do is, again, bring it back to authenticity of relationships, authenticity of focusing on what's relevant, authenticity of being connected to our people who are all serving students. So in the district I am now of close to 15,000 students, 
we have a lot of needs. Uh, and so we have to build up a lot of personnel from our you know, bus drivers and clerical staff and custodians across our systems so that everybody's working in the same wavelength to kind of make sure and provide the right services to our students. Long-winded answer. Sorry. No, I mean, that's 36 years. Yeah, 36 years you've got to go through. That's a lot of time. <laughs> and you've had a lot of different roles, which I absolutely love. And I think that's really important for our listeners to hear, too, because, you know, so many times we think of a teacher being in the same role for 30, 40 years. But, you know, for leaders, I mean, you do go up the ranks as you go. Absolutely. As, like you said, assistant principal to principal to uh, director of HR, and then trying out the superintendent role. So, you know, I, I felt like the thread, not only in your book, but then also just in your own story was in regards to making connections with people. So within the various jobs that you've held, you know, what were some tools and things that you did to make sure that you were making connections, even though, like you said, you, you felt more removed the farther up you went? You know, I, I, the simple things, and it's so funny because I, I thought about this a lot. There was a, actually a, a book that one of my high school, and, and I couldn't tell you exactly what he taught, but somehow is getting in a conversation with him about Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends and Influence People. And it wasn't the scam because <laughs> there was no scam involved, but it was actually listening to people, actually looking them in the face, actually finding interest in them. And, you know, I, I think there were some survival skills in me that kind of said, okay, I'm not going to be able to make it through this world alone. I have to be able to connect with other people and make sure that they understand that I really do care. And it was taking those purposeful actions so that, you know, when I bring in new administrators, it's not just, okay, here's your site, there's the keys, uh, good luck, you know, you'll find the referrals in the right side drawer. It's, it's really having conversations. It's giving them the time to onboard. It's giving them the experience to say, you know, in day one, it might look like this. In day five, it might look like this. Day 45, you might want to run for the door. Don't do it because we want to be here with you. And, 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 and it's really being authentic in those types of connections, but it's the follow through. You can't just tell everybody, have a great year, and then see them at the end of the year and say, I hope you had a great year. You're not going to get it. As a leader, you have to be present. You have to go to, from my perspective, go to the sites. Walk people through the evaluative process. Why is it important? Why is it important how we say things to our new educators uh, as opposed to just what we say? You know, what's your demeanor behind it? Uh, so I've actually done you know, a lot of professional development trainings on communication and effective communication for uh, every conversation. I call it a leadership conversation. Uh, you know, and a leadership conversation can be evaluative. It potentially could be discipline to an employee. It could be, you know, professional development. You're always at a point of showing somebody what you mean through your leadership. And so I really take that to heart. Uh, I don't want to take anything for granted or miss, have misunderstandings occur where a little bit more clarity, a little bit more time. And, and there's always the worry that, well, I spent too much time in this conversation, so I'm not getting something else done. And that as a leader, you have to alleviate yourself to know if I'm in this conversation, this is the priority at the moment. 
because I may not just be helping this person in this moment, but I'm going to help this person help other people. So if they really learn in that moment something that's going to help them, you're really helping the entire system. So give it the time. Give it the time to, to help leaders through. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, Rob, I want to talk through resilience because okay. obviously you you spoke on this and I think it's so important. You talked about just the recovery of your staff, your students, based on what has happened over the last couple of years. And and not so much, like you said, like the physical health of folks, but like the mental health component. And a lot of people are feeling like they're in a going through a tough time. And that could be mentally, that could be just fatigue, burnout, whatnot, right? So, you know, for folks who are listening that are feeling that way, what are some things that they can do? And I know you touched on this in the book, just to kind of fight through maybe a difficult time that they're going through right now. Right. You know, one of the things that we often as people don't give ourselves credit for are the adversities we've actually overcome, the challenges we've met, the successes we've had. And, you know, what I try and guide some our folks through is that you have to give yourself that credit and some reflective time to actually recognize the successes you've had. Now, it's not that we all can just say, okay, I was great in second grade at dodgeball and just last on that one forever. You know, I was pretty good. But, you know, you, 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 you have to also recognize things change, you've changed, and you've gone through some growth. You know, the people we are today, we bring all of our experiences with us, but we sometimes fail to recall, wow, I really did have a rough time getting through that. I had a rough time finishing my program. I had a rough time finishing my degree. I had a rough time. But every success we've had, it's a plus, is a is a bonus, is something we carry with us. And so, yes, times can be tragic right now for many people. And it's never to underestimate the impact that people are going through, whether it's a, a current trauma, uh, reliving a trauma, or something that they carry with them that is a struggle because just negating that or saying, well, it's not important. That's not good either. But we have to help people go through a process. And sometimes it's a personal process. Sometimes people need assistance, you know, to help guide them through, whether it's through a cognitive coach or a psychologist or a medical providers, whoever it might be, faith providers, people should connect with other people that they need to help them move forward. So it's it's not a negative to realize challenges are there. And yet I've gone through some of those things. The other thing that I think is important these days is that we sometimes forget. And, and even in our classrooms, our, our children right now, they've kind of been thrown off kilter. And while it's almost easy to say, well, class is back open, schools are back open, everybody should just come back. You know, we think of it this way, the, the physical sense, the mental sense, the emotional sense, we kind of threw everybody off kilter. And when sometimes you bring things back up and you start them up, you just can't turn it on full, full tilt. You have to have it supportive and building it. You know, and we think about kind of calming influences. And so I bring people to this example. You know, sometimes our, our tiniest of infants who are maybe not sure if they're hungry, not sure if they're wet, not sure what they need, 
are crying and, you know, we take them in our arms when we start to rock ever so gently just to settle them. And it's really a self-regulating process that maybe we do as adults, but our youngest don't have that. So we kind of teach them. Well, sometimes to have even adults self-regulate with some simple behaviors of breathing and calming and even changing the tones in our voices, we can kind of bring ourselves back to get grounded. And, and there's a lot of that that I think has happened now. We hear so much about mindfulness, so much about introspection, and yet there's some basic things that people can do to kind of self-ground, get reconnected so that they can now move forward. It's always got to be about moving forward after you've resettled. Because if you just settle and then stop, again, the growth that your body needs, your mind needs, the heart needs, it won't come. And so people get stuck. So it's kind of getting to the right place where resettle and then move forward. And, and I think as people, we're kind of designed to do that. But we also don't give ourselves the credit sometimes to move forward in that process. So we get stuck. Yeah, so true. So Rob, I want to talk about what you do within your current position. And this is probably sure. going to coordinate with my last question, which is, you know, for aspiring leaders, if you were to give them a piece of advice, what would they do to enhance their leadership journey? But I also want to coordinate that with like the teaching that you provide, because you, you already spoke about the support and the onboarding process that goes through, you know, your position now with new administrators. So Maybe you can tie it all together as far as like, what are the first steps? <laughs> I, I know you said don't run for the door, which I think is great advice for any new leader, especially when you realize like what the true position holds. But, you know, what are some some lessons that you provide for our new and aspiring leaders? Thank you, Josh, for that. You know, a huge part of what it is, is understanding the value of what you're actually doing. You know, these jobs are not for the faint of heart these days, you know, leading a school as a, a assistant principal, vice principal, principal, uh, you know, dean, working directly in those larger systems. Uh, but there's so much value. And again, having had the opportunity to be around uh, for so long and to work with so many amazing administrators who have made a difference uh, for literally hundreds of thousands of kids that I've seen directly, it's important to recognize that and not get lost in the challenges of the day. The emails that are never going to stop, the phone calls from folks who may not be fully informed about what it is that happened and what should happen, and, and recognize that those are parts of the challenges of the work that we as leaders take on so that when we're working with people to help them build knowledge, to help them find understanding, to help them see that we're actually there to support their children, to help them grow to a new place, that's valuable. But administrators need to also recognize that, their inherent value in the system. Because I think some degree, some folks feel like, wow, all the negativity is crushing me but they're failing to recognize the positive things that they really still can't accomplish. Changing culture of a school that's gonna impact 600, 800 students this year is one thing. Recognizing that after five years, six years, seven years, that culture evolves and you've actually touched a generation of students who are going to have more students in the future 
is a powerful thing to kind of recognize. So when you start thinking about education as a career, leadership as a career, and the larger impact that you can make, man, you start talk, walking a little taller and feeling good about your decision. Yeah, I always want my administrators feeling fantastic about their decision. It's a tough decision to either leave a classroom or leave a service providing place to come and take on these leadership roles. And I never want them to feel like, this was the most ridiculous thing I ever did. I'm going back to the classroom. I, I mean, that's that tells me that I didn't do something right in the facilitating facilitation of transitioning a fantastic educator to become a fantastic leader. Uh, and there's, you know, there's different associations, of course, that can help with that. But it really falls down to people making sure that others in these new leadership positions are supported. So if, in fact, people are new, find a mentor, find a connection, find an association, find, hey, teach better, find, you know, some place where you're going to get good, positive feedback, developmental training that's going to help you continue to grow and know you made a great decision. I love it. All right, Aspire listeners, you got to go grab Recipes for Resilience. It is such a timely book. It is full, it is jam-packed with strategies, action steps to work through anything that you're going through in education. And I want my listeners to connect with you, Rob, as soon as possible. So how might they find you on social media? Uh, thank you, Josh, again. Uh, so I do have a Facebook page, and it's simply Resiliency Guy. Uh, that's the one, you know, the, the page where they can reach out directly there. I'm also on Facebook as Rob Martinez. I'm, I don't hide from it. That's who I am, and, and I put it out there. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Resiliency Guy. I'm on Instagram as Resiliency Guy. I'm on LinkedIn as uh, Dr. Robert A. Martinez. Probably there says Resiliency Guy as well. I'll probably come up. Uh, I do have a blog that I haven't been blogging as much since the book came out, but I'm going to start returning to that and getting some more new messages out. Heck, I think I even have a TikTok. That's still a thing right now. I, I don't post a lot there yet, but I'm trying to get you know a handle on what that looks like uh, in the middle of uh, still you know working a day job and uh, and really moving my district forward uh, here in Antioch, California. Uh, but and people can email me directly. And it's not a hard email. It's resiliencyguy at gmail.com. I am love to get messages. I'd love to get connections. Uh, and I'll follow up with folks. Uh, you know, right now, uh, again, the book has been such an endeavor. You know, and I, I working with the publisher, Dave Burgess, and, and it's been a long time process. Again, thinking, sharing your life. And then it still took a good four years of focused work to get it out there. And part of that was pandemic, but part of that was just, you know, making sure it was the right messages uh, that we wanted to get out there to educators and leaders and, again, community folks. So I really do hope that uh, it, it catches some fire and uh, people find the value in it uh, that I hope is there uh, for them. And uh, but, yeah, reach out. I'm all over the place. Yes, definitely reach out, Rob. It's not a joke. And you can. Find him on joshstanford.com. I'll have all the links in the show notes. You can also pick up his book through Amazon. There'll be a link there for you also. And Rob, you are doing so many amazing things, not only in your district, but all over this country. And I am so fortunate not only to know you, to call you friend, but also have you as a guest on Aspire to Lead. Thank you so much, Josh. Feel that in my heart, my mind, and my soul, buddy. Appreciate it.